What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. It's true. Today we are talking about season one, episode 14, entitled Progress. How's it going, Mike? Uh, we are progressing quite along. It's going great. I uh, I had some uh, plans a couple of days, uh, had scheduled out time to watch this episode, Keith. And, mm -hmm. you know, as tends to happen, things happened. Last night was my last chance, and this is the craziest story. Well, maybe it's not crazy, but it's such a— Crazy! It's, it's inconceivable! An, it's an oddly suburban story, because mm -hmm. uh, as as many of you might actually might not know on this if you just watched this show, Keith and I both were New York City residents for years and years and years and years, and we mm -hmm. both just recently became suburbanites. And one experience I haven't had yet was—so long story short, I was going to watch the episode last night and do the screenshots and everything that we do. And— I was sitting out on the patio having a, a beverage, an adult beverage, prior to the to the to the watching, and I had heard this cat going nuts. Now there are a couple of cat colonies in our neighborhood, but this was a, this was above and beyond like normal cat sounds. So I just did a little loop around the neighborhood, and I saw this poor guy staring up a tree, and I was like, "I that man's cat went up a tree." And so I spent oh, no. quite a long time trying to help this guy get his cat down. Uh, we called the fire department. We called animal rescue. It was like ten o'clock at night, so it was it wasn't nobody was coming out to help this cat. And Keith, I even tried at one point to jump up and climb this tree, and it <laughs> took about six nanoseconds to recognize. Yeah, my my tree climbing days well over, mm, <laughs> well yeah, past. Yeah. So anyway, we ended up having to leave this cat up there, and luckily he got me a text at like three o'clock in the morning that he got the cat down. Uh, oh, good. I found good, him an good, arborist, good. a 24-hour arborist who might, like, I send him all these numbers and hoped, hoped for the best. And, and the cat is down. Nova is safe, everyone. Which, pretty cool good. that the Nova is the cat that was up the tree. Long story short, I just watched the episode. It's fresh in my mind. I just did it. So, Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, Interesting. I'm, I'm ready to chat about it, and let's talk some progress. Speaking of progress, Keith, the last thing I want to mention before we start, mm. and it, it comes into this podcast, is that just yesterday, the John Webb Space Telescope released the first yes. five new images uh, just to show its kind of its its prowess. And so sci-fi better up its game because real fi is. Uh, <laughs> well, is and, and I was I was thinking beautiful. about that. Um, and and to, to finish your cat story, both of us are are very much cat dads. In fact, apropos of nothing, I'm wearing my cat dad T-shirt today. Uh, and we are we are both uh, our tree climbing days were when this episode originally aired. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, this this uh, telescope and these images I, and the first thought I had when I saw these images related to Star Trek. And that is um, in a lot of ways, Trek was so good at guessing where our technology was going to go and be ahead of stuff um, you know, and frequently they would um, imagine that things were were conceivable then that wouldn't be for hundreds of years. But then, of course, like, boom, it's 20 years later and we do have the iPads they're using on the screen and we do have video conferencing and stuff that felt crazy sci-fi then became in our real lives much sooner than they anticipated. And one of those things, when I think about the telescope and how far they are able to see Right, they are able to see so far galaxies and galaxies, hundreds of billions of you know light years away. 
that that's something that Star Trek wasn't able to anticipate. Because in this case, now, of course, because you're dealing with with time as well as space, they wouldn't be able to necessarily see Voyager Mm. because they would be seeing what happened a thousand years before Voyager. But conceptually, we would, I guess, be able to map space all the way out into the other quadrants, at least as it was uh, when the light (laughs) that we're seeing was transmitted. And so, um, you know, I think both in terms of mapping space and being able to see way further than we ever imagined, uh, as well as time travel. I mean, certainly, you know, we can't travel through time, but we can certainly see the past. Uh, and I think that that is a fascinating, uh, thing to explore and talk about in sci-fi. And I don't know, it's, it's really, really interesting. And I think if we well, uh, what I ever... what I was I was kind of uh, waxing a little bit about this before we watched the sh- I watched the episode and the episode delivered on what I was talking about, which is kind of cool. And what I was saying is that you know sci- the the challenge for science fiction is twofold, right? Because you need you want to tell galactic stories on a scale that's not possible for humans to sort of uh, at the time or even now kind of conceptualize, right? You 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 want to be able to put onto into visual medium what we can't really see or couldn't really see, which is sort of the inner machinations of of galactic size. But also within that tapestry also tell really small personal stories. And, you know, how do you marry those two things? And I think this episode of of Deep Space Nine is actually a really good uh, example of the latter. And so we'll get into it. Speaking of well, looking you have back both in time, the science and the fiction, yeah. yeah. So, um, anyway, I, I think we are just beginning to scratch the surface of what this is going to open the doors of. But it certainly uh, gets one thinking about our size, <laughs> our own particular galactic scale in mm-hmm. the all of the universes. Uh, it's it's humbling, and I think in a good way. You know what else is humbling? The fact that people support this show and uh, and financially support our little adventure here and we really appreciate it and uh mike how could they do that oh friends it is so easy to do so uh, by joining our patreon at patreon.com slash k and m if you do so you not only become a producer on the show but you help us create other content and you get some fun bonuses you get to watch me watch Deep Space Nine, which usually airs before this podcast, but today they're going to drop simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to hear Keith and I ask, answer questions. You get to see us watch other stuff, which we get to talk about doing another one of. We've done another uh, an episode of, of The Next Generation. You get to see fun goodies early, like Keith's uh, lost episode of, uh, what's it called? Uh, what was it called Star again? Trek The Wrath of Neener. Yes, you get to watch watch that, which is a hoot, and lots of other fun stuff coming down the pike. We appreciate it. Keith, who are the wonderful people who have joined already? Well, I'll tell you, Mike. It's Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, CloudLover69, Jorge Novoa, The Mysterious Anne, Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, and Charles Babbage, uh, who we very, very much appreciate. You can join them at patreon.com slash K&M. Uh, it really helps us produce all of the nonsense that you are uh, spending your day listening to. All right. Well, I think we should uh, start talking about this episode. Uh, this episode of Deep Space Nine, that's season one, episode 14, Progress, aired 
on Sunday, May 9th, 1993. And the top song, I can't wait, was a little song called Freak Me by Silk Mike. Let's take a listen. Nog and Jake are still getting into mischief. They're gonna trade all kinds of stuff. Oh, they're gonna get latinum. No, they're gonna get freaked. So freak me, Jake and Nog freak me. Yeah. Freak me with your stuff. Freak me with your dirt. Freak me with your house. Freak me with your hurt. Just freak me. I really... I very much love the Freak Me song, which was, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's exactly accurate to what was uh, on the air in 1993, (laughs) but I do uh, really wish it weren't all about Jake and Nog, but uh, you know what? That's sometimes (laughs) that's just what, uh, just what happens. Mm -hmm. You know what else happened? The top movie in May 1993 was Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Yeah. Was that with? That was with his son. Yes. No, but Brandon but, but Lee was, was not Brandon. No, it was. It was a different. I think it was. I don't. I thought Brandon on, only the, ever did. He did the, the crow. crow, but then died. So they had to get somebody else to do, during Dragon. I don't know though. Really don't have the details on this. Different podcast. I think this was. Hold on, I'm going to look it up. Uh, Jason Scott Lee. There you go. There it is. So, all right. So there it is. The. New York Times headline talked about the U.S. and its allies still seem divided on Bosnia action. Um, uh, The more things change, the more things stay the same as we debate uh, intervening in a horrible thing happening in Europe. So there it is. That was happening then. So this episode, Progress, was directed by veteran Star Trek director Les Landau, However, this is the first of his Deep Space Nine episodes. He would go on to do 14 of them, as well as 22 episodes of The Next Generation, nine episodes of Voyager, and he threw one episode of Enterprise in there just for fun. This episode was written by Peter Allen Fields, who last wrote the episode we really liked, Dax. So uh, here we are, and it is now time... For the most trivial of segments, Mike. Oh. <laughs> huh. Nope. Oh, wait, Still hold on, right. Keith. You know, I didn't set... We always think we set it up properly, but we didn't. But now that we've, you know, this and thated, we can officially... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike's stalling while he figures out tech. Now isn't always waste tech. your time with trivial trivia. Okay, Uh, folks, (laughs) in case it wasn't blazingly obvious, uh, we do this live. We do. (laughs) We don't edit. I believe I just said, instead of yada, 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 I turned Mm -hmm. uh, this and that into a verb, and I this and that it. We this and that it. So, eh, there we go. So, only two pieces of trivial trivia about this episode. Uh, Number one is Aaron Eisenberg, Nog, of course, had to battle to say self-sealing stem bolts with his Ferengi retainer in, um, to the point that he was afraid he was going to get fired because he couldn't say... I battle to say it every week, and I don't have a retainer in. You can't... Retainer? It's not going well. (laughs) This is not going well. 
Uh, I should, you know what? I I should punish myself for for making fun of you by putting in my retainer for the rest of the episode. I just took mine out, so it took. <laughs> well, mine. It's for TMJ. Anyway, uh, yeah, I can only imagine the degree of difficulty performing on a show like Star Trek when you are playing one of the aliens. Because a, you're acting under all those prosthetics and all this crazy stuff, and frequently you'll have a dental appliance. So you'll have either Klingon teeth or Ferengi teeth and some sort of uh, appliance in your mouth. And then you have to say ridiculous technobabble words with a straight face under giant ears. So Aaron Eisenberg, you are a national treasure for being able to say self-sealing stem bolts with your retainer. Uh, I I can't wait to talk about it later, but we finally know what uh, Mike finally knows do what we know? uh, we're adjudicating we the know? show with. Do we know what they are? Well, we're going to find out later. The next piece of trivial trivia is wow. Michael Piller. Oh, really walked uh, right into that. Deserved it. I sure did. I did. 100% deserved that. 100%. Um, wow. Series creator Michael Piller <laughs> said that they sort of lost Kira this season for a bit, and they needed to give her some episodes, which is one of, this is one of those uh, featuring Kira, and we have One of, later this season, we have, I think, probably one of the top five episodes of all of Deep Space Nine uh, featuring Kira coming up soon. That's an interesting comment because wasn't it a week or two ago we had, when they were crashed on the planet, that was a Kira episode, Battle battle Lines? Yeah, it's it's true. Um, Yeah, I, I don't understand why, certainly before Battle Lines, we'd sort of lost track of her a little bit. I feel at this point we've lost track of Cisco. Uh, we haven't had a good Cisco. Yeah, he's definitely in a while. he's definitely sort of like the the kind of grumpy principal at sitting in the office who gets just a couple scenes. Although he's got a he's got a couple of cool. He's, yeah, he's, he's got some good leadership scenes this this week. No, he's he's definitely uh, there, but he's not. He hasn't been the protagonist of an episode in a while. Uh, we'll get there. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about guest stars this week. Uh, our guest stars include Brian Keith, who played Mullabach, who, if you, you wouldn't know uh, if you were, you know, young folks, but he has three Emmy nominations for uh, from way back in the 70s, something like that. And his first credit was in 1924 as a child actor. So Brian Keith is a very seasoned actor um when he did this also michael Sheffer plays Turan. Uh, he was also alien number one in the next generation episode timescape and in star trek 6 he was an excelsior engineer and nicholas worth as the lesepian captain so i think it's time to start talking about this episode what do you say mike uh like that idea see if that works. It does indeed. Let's pop yeah. over to the viewing room, Keith. And I have a question for you before uh, before we do it, but but I guess we got to do this first. Yeah, we got we got to hear you sing a little bit. Oh, it's... <laughs> Is that why somebody keeps commenting that we need singing lessons? It's 
No, I, singing classes. To, I think they're talking to you, if I'm not mistaken, but they should be talking I, to me for sure. I, I feel like I, I took a class or two getting a degree in vocal performance at the Eastman School of Music. <laughs> but it, <laughs> Let me ask you this right. before we get started. What was your question? Yes. Because I don't, I don't know, I haven't done a ton of television work. You probably know the inner workings much. But my question to this, uh, mention the, 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 the guest actor who kind of stars this episode again, Brian. Brian Keith. Brian Keith. Do you think that was an, a direct offer? He just came and read for the part? Or do you think they had him read with Kira? Because there's something special about their chemistry that I wonder if mm. was just kind of like just found on set or if they had picked if he had gotten cast because of them reading together do do stars of a show ever go in and read for casting with like potential guest stars you think i would be very surprised if that was uh, the case if if that was the case you know they may or may not have had him read although i think with his um career up to that point he probably he was probably offer only um I mean, I certainly in the initial casting of a show, the you know the possible Kiras will read with the possible Ciscos mm-hmm. and the so on and so forth and screen tests, and that all makes sense. But I very much doubt in, especially in the run of a season where they're just you know pounding episodes out that they would ever do that. Um, so, but I think that speaks even more to the uh, abilities of Nana Visitor and Brian Keith here to establish the chemistry they have in this episode. But we're not going to talk about that yet because we have to tell you what's going on mm-hmm. in this teaser uh, where we begin. Jake and Nog are playing cards, which uh, are interesting because they're just old-timey regular cards. Usually in Star Trek, you have space cards, mm-hmm. but not in this case, just cards. They're playing cards at Quark, and they overhear Quark yelling at a waiter for ordering a ton of Cardassian yamak sauce. 5,000 ravages, even. Mm. And nobody wants it anymore, because the Cardassians no longer run the station. And Nox, his lobes start tingling with opportunity. Uh, Thank God it's uh, just opportunity, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I don't want you to sing that song again. Please, please don't. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, Yamak Sauce, 5,000 Ravages, uh, basically ordered a whole bunch of ketchup. Yeah, well, so, but, uh, but but we did learn that it's nasty. At least that's what Quark thinks. Quark thinks. Well, you know, Cardassian food is gross, mm-hmm. you know, other than their uh, other than their liquor, which everybody loves. Uh but yeah, uh, you know, they're the bad guys. The bad guys can't have a good condiment. Yeah. So uh, Cisco does a commander's log saying that the Bajorans are going to do a major energy transfer from the core of one of their moons. They technobabble for a while, and the Bajoran guy is nervous. It's very important to get this energy as they try to rebuild after the occupation. Um, so did you get what did you understand? From a techno babble sense, what all that was? Yeah, they're gonna frack this moon. They're they're gonna frack this moon. Yeah, uh, and they and coming out of the occupation, they're still rebuilding, and so they're dealing with famine. They're dealing with they are, um, it, you know, it's it's not a culture that has a lot of resources yet. Um, so you know, it's a it's tough because you're kind of destroying one of your moons to get energy at this point. Yeah, but it's going to feed what five five was it planets or five like cities or something like that? Five city, yeah, like a lot. 
because they're 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 doing this on a moon. They're fracking the moon to bring energy back to the main planet. They didn't. Um, they didn't really go through the the machinations of explaining that they were going to have to. Uh, what's the word? Uh, relocate folks. We kind of learned that later. I think that's. I think I mentioned it in passing, but it's it. It wasn't. They didn't put a, too much of a thumb on it. Yeah. But but yeah, there are people on this moon, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, so they have they have to move them. I mean, you know the. The, the the whys and wheres don't really matter, but I was always, I, but I wonder, like, with the Federation technology able to create energy, there has to be a better way to create energy than destroying one of your moons. Yes, I did find that interesting because later they add a sort of detail that that apparently Kira or these folks, the the people in the room where it happens had discussed other methods, but they decided it would take too long. So I guess we're sort right. of on a time crunch, so we're going with the old-fashioned, uh, just yeah, suck I mean, it out. It, yeah. Essentially, we're just going to, all right, fine, we're going to use coal. Yeah. Um, it's cold, and we need it, the heat, so. Yeah, and it's and 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 you see, and, and the specifics of it don't really matter because that's not what the story is about, right? But it's it's the setup for this story. Mm-hmm. Um. So Kira and Dax head on a runabout to check out the moon. Uh, Dax tells Kira that Morn asked her out, and maybe she's up for it. She was like, "Not." She was. I couldn't tell if she was like screw with Kira here, but Kira's face was ex- well played. Well played, I have to say. Uh, no, she, well, it, it, she, it's she's a, like his it's little wiry fa- his, his little wiry heads hairs are cute. Well, and 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 we're gonna sort of see this as a character characteristic of Dax. I think from the all of the life experiences that she has, she's not so narrow-minded about, you know, what she's attracted to and what she's interested in. And and so, like, why not? Why not yeah. mourn? And why, you know, and we're going to find out a lot about Captain Baudet at some point. Mm, and, like... I love my Baudet. You sure... Oh, my God. The, the, the Baudet sellers. I was talking to my dad about that. He's yeah. laughing. Anyway, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so but but I do think it's it's cool and it's interesting that that Dax has a much more open mind mm-hmm. um than than the rest of the folks and that that speaks to wisdom and experience and plus you know she's uh she they over eight lifetimes yeah, they they've probably gotten an odd fair amount you want to expand your horizon right yeah Make you don't want to get bored there it is so uh yeah, where am I oh, but then. They discover a humanoid life on the surface that they're about to blow up. And uh, the people living there are supposed to be evacuated. So Kira beams down and finds herself on a little farm cottage with a couple of angry folks with pitchforks. I loved this shot because you almost never see them beam in the reverse. Yeah, that's true. It's like an interesting kind of choice. They always magically beam in exactly aimed where they're supposed to be aimed, and they're always it's all it, the beaming thing on Star Trek is always a little confused because sometimes they'll beam somebody like literally falling off a cliff and they land perfectly like calm and they're always <laughs> they're all in the right or oriented exactly right, but you know who knows Star Trek, blah blah blah. So we've got uh, pitchforks, literal pitchforks, to visit her. All right. So at the beginning of Act One, we do our uh, we do our theme song. 
the pitchfork-wielding farmers are called off by a man named Mullabuck, who's no fan of folks in uniform and is definitely a classic sexist. Kira tells uh, them they have to leave, but he talks her into staying for supper. So, uh, we're... So did you sort of get where stuff's going? What were you feeling at this point? Yeah, I mean, it was just, it, they kind of hit you over the head with it, with like a with a hard root vegetable. Uh, <laughs> she's going to try to convince him to go. He's going to uh, try to get her to stick around and convince her that uh, to not blow up the moon. Uh, that was good good table setting, both literally and figuratively. Mm, mm. I don't know about those roots. Uh, Three Bajoran hours? Bajoran food sounds Eesh. terrible. Yeah. So, uh, back on the promenade, Jake and Nog chat with a Lysepian captain of a trading ship. Uh, although we see here, what a cool costume design oh, there. Yeah. Really red. Uh, and these are just like sort of background. The, well, we talked to the Lysepian captain, but the other one there, that's just a background. Yep. Also, like Groot is growing around one of the pillars mm-hmm. there. Like, really cool set design. Very subtle. We only see it for like 10 seconds, but the fact that they they have so much plant life literally growing around a, the uh, Deep Space Nine. There. Season one, for all the criticism I've heard about it, let me tell you what they nail every episode. Establishing shots, man. They got a great yeah. establishing shot. Yeah, that's a veteran director. So, uh, the oh, so Jake and Nock talk with the Lesepian captain of a trading ship. They try and sell him. What day is it? Oh, no, it is a work day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad. Uh, so they tried to sell him the yamak sauce for five bars of gold-pressed latinum. Instead of money, he offers to sell them 100 gross of, wait for it, bum, 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 self-sealing stem, stem bolts. And uh, Nog thinks, nah. But Jake talks him into making the trade. Mm-hmm. Nog is excited until Jake reminds him they don't have the yamak sauce yet. But the uh, the caper has begun, and we've gotten our first self-sealing stem bolts reference. Yeah, uh, I, I freaked out more than I should have. I was very excited to hear the words. <laughs> uh, but, you know. <laughs> I'm going to have to go and watch that on, yeah. uh, at patreon.com slash KMM. Word I know. <laughs> oh my god alright uh, so we gotta start cooking up lunch alright so back with Kira the old man is gonna make her some horrible root for dinner that takes three hours to soften we find out that the two other folks that we met had their tongues cut out by the Cardassians during the occupation what so a bummer talk. for those guest stars man or those like, extras I guess at this point uh, yeah I mean at this point they're, they're background actors they're like they're we're, on eight, we're on 18 pages and they're like yeah yeah, uh, and also like we're we're again reinforcing and learning of the brutality of the Cardassian occupation. Um, that I I think that it's it deepens the stakes and the understanding of everything that happens with Bajor and the Bajorans because like they really really went through it and mm-hmm. it was brutal. Um, and we're going to explore that a lot more moving forward. But I think it really is part of the seasoning with all of this is that these it wasn't like star trek brutal it was brutal brutal yeah um and i think that's interesting uh 
But we find out that the three of them have been surviving on this moon for 40 years. Uh, so uh, our buddy Mullabach continues to be gross and sexist, but Kira realizes that he's trying to antagonize her. Ah. We are reminded that the Bajoran names are reversed from ours. Kira is actually her last name, and Nerys is her given name in Deglio Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, just... It's it's one of those like weird little details, but it makes perfect sense. Like why why would all names be stacked the way that we do it? Yeah. Um just just it doesn't it, it never goes anywhere. It's not important to the story. It's just the little details that continue to reinforce uh that we're dealing with a different It's so culture. funny that his first his first tactic though is I'm just gonna like call you fussy britches and you're gonna get so mad <laughs> and you're gonna leave the planet. That's that's his first that's his first swing. Yeah, it's dread. I'm just going to be grumpy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but he, he really does represent, like, a certain type of, like, of a certain generation of men of that era who did sort of talk that. Like, I, because it's, it's funny. I know that guy. Mm-hmm. I've met that guy. Like, you run into that guy in a deli. Like, he's he's in the bodega. In Queens or whatever. The rest of the episode, though grumpy, yes. I think the sexist part and the sort of disrespect he shows her was more of was more of a a play acting situation than than real. We we do get a sense that there is an a a layer of a wink in there, but you know I know that guy too, and it's sort of like I'm going to say something bad, Mm -hmm. sort of wink as if it justifies it, but it doesn't. I don't know. It's um. He is charming, and there's no, there's just no getting around it. Um, so uh, Kira tries to convince Mullabach to move to Bajor. He says if he leaves, he's going to die. So he'd rather die on the moon. And that is the end of Act 1. Act 2 begins. Nog goes to Quarks and gets yelled at for replacing someone's spilled drink. Then he tricks Quark into letting him throw out the yamak sauce. Well played, sir. Yep. Yeah, he's really show he shows some gumption this episode for sure. Absolutely. And I feel like it's a it's weird that Quark would let go of something like that. I mean, even if you have to I feel like Quark would move on, would move it somehow. Yeah, well, but I, I guess like it Especially I, when he have, when when Nog in uh what's the word I'm looking for in uh says that there's a reclamator so they could basically like incinerator I'm guessing they could just kind of destroy it if they wanted to they could destroy it but like I feel like Quark would try to flip it mm-hmm. sort of like Nog would but I guess like it's he has a a whole pallet of ketchup packets I mean for Quark's that's small potatoes for him but yeah. I don't know but also, uh, it's more than it's, a, pallet. Be it's like a ton apparently it's like so much it's absurd it's 5,000 ravages. Yeah. So it's like a truckload of what ketchup What I thought was an interesting, a unique, uh, what do you call it? What do you call it? Technobabble exchange that actually they were sort of setting up to, to excuse away some things is he, they were making a distinction in value when they were first arguing with the, the Stembolt guy about how it's not even replicated. This is the real deal. This is real ketchup. This ain't cloned ketchup. Yeah. Yeah. Which probably means it's going to spoil quickly, but yeah. Uh, that value, that's maybe. interesting. I don't, I don't think I caught that. Well, yeah. well played. 
So back on the moon, Mullabach tells they celebrate. I love all of Jake and yeah, Nod's, we did it. like celebration, and this episode is really good. <laughs> um, on the moon, Mullabach tells the story of how he escaped the Cardassians. He spins a tall tale of his survival alone on the moon. It's very Paul Bunyan and very charming. Long story, he tamed the moon and is very attached to it. Uh, they talk a little about the war. Kira explains that the only way they beat the Cardassians was because they hung on like fanatics. Um, and of course, there we are. Mullabach shows, Mullabach shows Kira a kiln he's planning to build, and he's not going to leave no matter what. And so, you know, it's interesting because this episode is built on kind of repeating the same beat over and over again, where he basically tells the same story. I've been here forever. I fought for this. I worked hard. I'm not leaving. And Kira tries different tactics to get him to leave. Um, and it's it's interesting to be able to tell such a compelling story with the same beat, essentially, over and over again. Well, the narrator sort of shifts, right? Like, it's about his journey and his, his, his obsession with the place and his tactics to stay uh, until it's not about that. And it's more about right. Kira having to kind of see herself in him and explain even to herself why she takes a liking to him and then becomes trying to protect him and then realizing and then what I think is cool and we'll get to it and well I I realize that on this show I I often pre-spoil my own thoughts for later but it's interesting that Kira still and I think this is what interesting about what the creator the writer said is that Kira is still finding her place in this universe right still reckoning with where she sits on the sort of the, the spectrum of authority. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, it's fascinating. And I, and I love that as a, as a layer for this character, because we're seeing her dropped in as the commander of a station and she's part of the government. And, and yet literally a month before that, she was starving and scrambling and battling in a war. And she's, and that's all she's ever known. And it's right. a, it's a really fascinating um, place in Kira's life that we meet her and we sort of reveal her backstory. Because, um, you know, we start in the storytelling with somebody where they are. We assume they've always been there. Right, but right. she just showed up like a month before that and is it's very new to her. So in Act 3, Jake and Nog inspect their new supply of self-sealing stem bolts despite having no idea what they are. O'Brien enters the cargo bay and they discuss the bolts, and none of them have any idea what they do. Nog decides, smartly, I think very, very smartly, to reach out to the Bajoran who was the original buyer of the bolts but couldn't pay for them. So the only reason that they were able to trade these bolts for the ketchup packets were because the original seller wasn't able to buy it, now they're stuck with all this extra stuff. So that's, so it reaches out to them. Um, Nog has the idea to sell them back to the original buyer for a discount. So smart. Great, Nog. Well uh, done. Well played. Well played. And uh, I don't know. Those stem bolts look cool. I wish, you know, you know what we should, uh, but that's it. Should get that, is, that is as far as we get as an explanation. As the explanation is we don't know what they are, but uh, of course it's a yeah. MacGuffin. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But that said, I think um, someday, by the end of the run of our little show, we need to get 
little replica stem bolts to have Absolutely, on our desk. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, but now, Keith, we can have a little graphic for that part because now we know what they look like. It's not a, it's not shrouded in mystery anymore, that's for sure. That's true. That's true. I, I didn't want to spoil the MacGuffin for, yeah. uh, for Mike. Though, you know, who was it that who who was it that suggested this for our uh, award? It was JD, I think. Yeah, what a great choice because he chose a MacGuffin that didn't have any sort of lore. So now we can officially say that what Nog didn't know is that the self-sealing stem bolt is actually a really valuable award that will be given via podcast. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. It, was, I mean, it, it was given via podcast many years ago. That's right. That's right. It's a, uh, it, it's now a currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how valuable cool. it is. So valuable. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. So on ops, Kira goes to meet with Cisco. And the Bajoran minister and explains what's happening. It's a mess. The minister suggests just beaming them off the moon. Mm-hmm. But Kira suggests tapping the core in a different way that wouldn't poison the air. And he's like, so, yeah, we ain't got time for that. Exactly. Yeah, we're going to frack this. Mm-hmm. It would, uh, and the reason he doesn't want to is it would take a full year to get any energy that way. Um, and, you know, it's it's tough. They're in a tough position. Again, you know, maybe this is a prime directive issue because why doesn't the Federation step in and help them, you know, create energy? And I'm I'm sure that they would have a way to give them energy, at least for the year, until they can tap this core in a way that doesn't pollute the atmosphere. Um, however, because Bajor is not a member of the Federation, is there a prime directive issue the prime directive in Star Trek is their non-interference um, policy that would prevent them from doing that, although they're supporting them in lots of other ways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's 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 funny that the Federation couldn't come up with something, but blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we will continue. Uh, Kira keeps arguing, and the minister threatens to fire her. Uh, so Kira returns to the farm with a couple of security officers and phasers. She's going to have to take a harder line. She's going to have to take them by force. But, of course, Malabak ignores her and keeps stalling as he works on the kiln. He calls her on her mixed feelings about what to do because he can totally tell that uh, she has mixed feelings. The security guards return with the two others and uh oh, one of them has been pitchforked. Some would say shivved. See, <laughs> from our other show, it's a pitchfork shiv. <laughs> so they respond completely with justified force. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that screenshot's amazing, <laughs> <laughs> folks! If you're listening to this on the uh, on your podcast feed in your ears, uh, you're missing out on that screenshot. <laughs> Good lord. Absolutely should be the show, the shot, screenshot for the uh, for the thumbnail. Oh, that's a good idea. The, uh, uh, one of them has been stabbed. There's a fight, and the guard shoots Mullabach with a phaser. Good screenshots, Mike. Mm, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, we go to commercial thinking that, uh, people, it has gone down. So, uh, in Act 4... Jake and Nog negotiate with the original stem bolt buyer. He doesn't have any latinum, but he offers them a piece of land. They don't know where it is or how much it is, but Jake feels good about it. Uh, 
they because uh, it's it's real estate. Yeah, it's real Duh. estate, man. Always take the land. Of course, doesn't Doc matter it's where. Just dirt, Doc. which I think is actually gives some more insight into the Ferengi kind of thought pattern. They just they like that cold hard cash. Well, it's it's very immediate and very transactional, and it's it's it it's very they're very impatient. Um, but we find here. As they're negotiating with this guy, they call themselves the Noel Jake Consortium, uh, which is fun. Uh, we're gonna and it's gonna pay off later. So back on the moon, Bashir has treated Mullabach. He's still salty, but realizes Kira didn't remove him while he was unconscious. But now, just to re- clarify, this yeah. isn't uh, Andy Hopkins. It's not him. Andy Hopkins? Anthony Hopkins? It is not Anthony Hopkins. Okay. It looks like Anthony uh, Hopkins in a weird production of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> in a Bajoran Christmas Carol? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The, the ghost of Cardassian past. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> um, it does look a lot like Anthony Hopkins. And I think Anthony Hopkins would have probably given a pretty similar performance. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um. So, uh, Mullabach tells Bashir he's not leaving. Bashir finds Kira on the kiln, and she has decided to stay and starts working on the kiln. Looking uh-oh. badass, yeah. Looking badass. Uh, uh-oh. So, Bashir decides to go back to Deep Space Nine and rat Kira out to Cisco. Cisco decides to stall for Kira who would be fired if she was caught. He orders the doctor to make up a medical reason she has to stay for a day or two. Um, this is a, a, a similar beat that we saw with him, um, with Odo and uh, in Captive Pursuit, going after Tosk. And he's he uses his leadership position to stall, to allow his subordinates to figure out their moral quandaries and i think it's 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 a good good beat it's good captaining yeah especially i i yeah i I like the this was one of my favorite little bit little beats because you know bashir gives his very educated assessment of what's happening and ben's like well she's got to stay and bashir's like oh but 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 i don't give that order and ben's like yeah you do yeah you do yeah. It's yeah, Ben's yeah. make it so, but without saying it, you know? No, it's 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 true and it's it speaks to the um flexibility mm-hmm. that Cisco has, which is um I think when when we look back at the whole series, uh Cisco's flexibility in order to get things done is a defining characteristic of 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 Cisco. Um because he is he is looking at the greater good, at the bigger picture, and is less militantly tied to the specifics of the rules and regulations and the federation. And and he is, he, he, there, there's more relativism in mm-hmm. Cisco than there is in Picard, um, or 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 Jane. Well, Janeway, maybe I don't know. It's 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 tough to say, but I I think it is a specific to Cisco that I really like that about it. And I also like that sometimes he's willing to roll up his sleeves. And as we'll see in this next screenshot, if you want something done, you got to do it your goddamn self. Oh, wait, yes. I, I, I jumped ahead. I jumped ahead. Almost, almost. Yeah. 
So back on the moon, Kira is treating Mullabox injuries. They discuss trees. She's still stuck not knowing what to do. Um, and there we see the uh, the medical dupe-dop <laughs> the light there. <laughs> um, she doesn't know how to use it either, but it, it helps. Then Cisco shows up to see what's going on. He explains to Mullabach that Kira is risking her career staying with him. And he pulls her aside and tells her that he sympathizes with her and Mullabach. And he sees the similarities between the underdog resistance fighter and what she's doing now. Mm. And he reminds her, importantly, that she's on the other side now. Which he, is... He, it's a great scene because he does a great job of of sort of empathizing with the zoomed-in view that she's kind of stuck in and then helping draw her out to the macro view and let her know like kind of what her responsibilities are and, and the choices she's already made and where she sits now. Yeah. Well, and it's... It, it's it it is a common Star Trek theme of the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few, and and this is it's it's tough because this is um, you know something that we we face in imminent it, life now with imminent domain, mm. right? And and that is something that is sometimes necessary, but frequently can be abused. And you understand completely why somebody wouldn't want to tear down the house that they've had in their family for a long time to put a highway in. And, you know, at the same time, the highway benefits a lot of people. It's It becomes really, really difficult. And I, I love exploring this um, with the added dimension of the occupation and the war. And so these, these are, it's not just he's a farmer and he's had this land forever. Like he fought this came out of the war and they're all refugees and it's it becomes really uh really difficult and it's i it can you can totally empathize with every person in this equation and i think that's why it's good star trek and then another uh, badass of a ben tactic he's like you're my buddy i'm giving you all the empathy and i'm just gonna leave you with your thoughts yeah yeah he says that uh he and bajor need her now Mullabach's fate is already decided, but hers isn't. Then he leaves her to make her decision. Um, you know, again, another good thing about Cisco's leadership ability, he lets people make their own decisions. He laid it out. He's like, this is exactly what the situation is. I empathize with you, but you know what? You gotta, you gotta suck it up, but I'm going to let you do it. And uh, just good leadership. So, Act 5. In the middle of the night, Malabak is having a nightmare. They keep chatting. She keeps comforting him. Um, which is... I, I'm wondering what's going on with uh, with the, the medical side of all of this. Because if the phaser was... I'm assuming if the phaser was set to kill, it should have killed him. If it was set to stun, he wouldn't be anywhere near this injured. Well, maybe he's just um, an old dude who's like... Kind of... It really like shook him up. Yeah. Also, actually... Bigger picture, like when he says, "If I leave this planet, I'm going to die," he's he's speaking uh, metaphorically, metaphorically, right? Because, all right, yeah, I figured yeah. as much. It makes sense that way, but yeah, no, I don't, I, I don't think it's in any way literal. I think it's it's my heart is here, so take out my, you know, that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. So we head back to Quarks, 
and Jake and Nog are arguing about if they should have traded the bolts for land. When Odo and Quark walk by trying to figure out who the heck the Knoll Jake Consortium is. And uh, we got to track them down. What's if going only on? Jake's name wasn't directly in it, but you know. Eh, you know, there's a lot of weird names. So yeah, that's true. It's Star Trek. So, but, but yes. Uh, Odo says that the Bajoran government wants to build on the land, speaking of eminent domain, and can't build without buying this little piece of land. Um, which speaks to really how foolish the uh, original yeah, owner of this thinking? land was. Yeah. Why would you trade? Well, I guess they didn't know. They he needed really that bad ketchup, information. Yo. He needed that ketchup. Well, oh, well the, the ketchup guy, yeah, the, the bolts. bolts. But I, I guess we've already established that whoever bought the bolts had ordered it without having the money for it. So they're not good business people anyway. So that's maybe why they missed out on uh, why the land was valuable. Uh, Quark tries to figure out who it is to horn in on the deal. Nog tells Quark what's up. And he makes a deal with Quark. This for... was ridiculous. This I was I was thinking about how great a lot of the framing was, and then it's like the the, the little comedic beat where Nog and Jake are just like hiding around behind little things, listening in on the conversation was kind of ridiculous. But... You can't see us behind these. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they don't have any necessarily reason why they can't be watching, so they don't have to hide that bad. It's not like a huge espionage thing. Um, so, uh, Nog tells Quark what's up and they make a deal with Quark for five bars of gold pressed platinum, which is what the whole dream was at the very beginning. It all works out. Uh, although I think Nog would be smart enough to like, I'd get a better sense on what the Bajoran government is going to pay for this land before I make a deal with Quark because Quark probably is like 500 bars of gold pressed platinum and he only gets 1% of it. Well, I will say though, ultimately, if I big picture it, what the bigger gain here is that, like you'll remember when, uh, oh, shoot, what's the brother's name? What's what's Quark's brother's name? Rom. Rom. When Rom tries to kill his brother, that's how he earns Quark's respect, right? Mm-hmm. So, Nog and Jake pulling this crazy trade up heist deal, I think, is probably the big the biggest gain here is not the the latinum, it's the the respect they gain from Uncle Quark here. No, for sure. For sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's like the last piece, like you probably could have gotten more than that. But in this world, five bars of gold, pre- gold press platinum is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, good on them for trading extra ketchup anything, packets. They didn't do anything illegal. They, got, they did it. Not at all. Yeah. It was all above board. And uh, everybody benefits. So it was pretty cool. So... We finish our other story. The next morning, Kiro wakes up at Mullabach's house and finds him finishing the kiln. The kiln, a metaphor, of course. Mm-hmm. Kira helps him finish, then tells him it's time to go. As he fires up the kiln, Kira walks into his house to get his stuff. He says as long as the cottage is standing, he's staying. So... She phasers the kiln and sets the cottage on fire. He asks her to kill him if he's really her friend. In very specific points. Very specific points. uh, (laughs) Which, apparently, he made his uh, his joists holding together the uh, 
the, with like uh, gas soaked rags. I think that's how he finished assembling the. Uh... However, I, I will say that's real fire. Yeah, that's not CG. That's not. They actually like lit that shit on fire for this in um, very specific I, points. Look, they had to. They. <laughs> It, it, if you're doing it in CG, it doesn't matter. They had to practically let it all on fire. It had to work mm-hmm. one time. You get one take for that, right? Uh, they I don't know. We're not going to build an entire I don't think new. It, like, caught a flame. I think it was just like a couple of areas that were holding fire. They have to know. repaint the whole thing. Uh, plus... well, okay. Anybody they have out one there know? take. That's anybody right. out there know the special effect practicality of that? Well, how Man. on fire does it get? Is the question. It gets pretty on fire. Hold like, on, let's get to it. I mean, obviously, each of those individual pieces were, you know, probably a rag soaked in in gas. Like, look, right. that yeah, gets pretty real on fire. It's pretty on. That's, fire. This, is, this is a one take Jake here. Yeah. So, uh, which is also because it's one take, I believe it's actually Nana Visitor who's doing the lighting of the fire and mm-hmm. not a stunt person. So it's pretty. For something that seems so like small and symbolic, it's a pretty big stunt that they're pulling off there. Well, what's the other thing that's pulled off here, Keith? Let's let's get to that final plot beat. Yes. So uh, he asks her to kill him if he's really her friend, and she won't. And uh, they beam up. Well, she says two to beam up. So we assume they. It's really an abrupt ending. They leave a lot to kind of. Mull, but it seems like we know where it's going. No, no, they they both beam up. I think we we see them both dematerialize, don't we? I don't think we do. It goes to black. It, it, it well, closes it close up on her where she says two to beam aboard, and then it goes to black. Which it, it's it's. I think it's actually really kind of a cool twist there because he really, I think, up until the last moment, he had predetermined. I think where he thought this was going to end, which is which is she's going to kill him, right? I don't think. I right. think I think that's where he saw it, and then that last moment, I think he realizes that he's she 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 has to actually convince him that there is a life to live off this this moon. I don't think he ever really considered the actual going back to Bejor and, and no, I mean it's like was because like was he trying to was he really so confident that he could get his way, or was this a a suicide he was trying to do? Um, but yeah, she wasn't willing to do that. I mean, and and she was she's going to take him it, off. It really it's... what I what I think what I found kind of powerful is and and it, and it speaks to all so much symbolism that you know I liked a lot of the symbolism and it it never felt even though there were a lot of recycled beats, I don't want to say recycled repetitive beats, it never felt like they were like it like it did in what was the last battle lines that we just referenced where it felt like you were getting sledgehammered over the head. It didn't feel that way here. There was a nuance and a subtlety and and sort of a beauty. And I really think a lot of that is chemistry in the relationship between these two here because it's it's he is absolutely leading. He is in charge. He is kind of yeah, driving the whole force of of the of the of the plot line with these two until that very last second, till the very last beat where she has to open his eyes. And she's like, I need you. I need a friend on Bejor. It could be you, and I need you, and you are going to – and he goes, I, I will die if I go there. And she, all she says, the last – I think it's the last line, in fact, before she beams him up. He goes, I will die if I leave this rock. And she simply says, no, you won't. 
And I think it's like <clears throat> she opens mm. that sort of even possibility in his head. Yeah, it's it's a, it's compelling stuff. It really is. And uh, we should talk about all of that, but not before we do. And now it's time oh, for no. Mike and Deglio's Star Trek Vocabulary Quiz. There we go. Your first vocab word, of course, is yamak sauce. Oh, Keith, it's gross to most, but in its purest form, in its non-replicated form, it is a a Bajoran delicacy or a uh, 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 Kardashian. <laughs> it's no. I can't when, believe it's the first time you've done that. When the Kardashians sweat, they bottle it, and then they save it <laughs> in in a kiln. And over millennia, a future civilization when Kim sweats. A future civilization of Kardashians will take that bottled sweat and make it into a very <laughs> tasty little sauce uh, oh, that cannot be replicated. And is very, very, uh, very. I just. Just give me the, the buzz and let's move on. <laughs> okay, just for creativity. <laughs> that was gross. Yeah. What's next? What's next? Your next vocabulary word. And this is very important. Mike, what is a self-sealing stem bolt? Well, stem bolts are clearly things used in in engineering and manufacturing, but not even the, the head engineer of... Deep Space Nine knows what the self-sealing stem bolt is. Never seen one in his life before, or just didn't want to give Jake and Nog the satisfaction of telling them what it was. But what we can say definitively is it's an actual hexagonal piece of something that we award to episodes of Deep Space Nine. Okay, we'll take it! Affirmative. Alright, now it is time... To come along home to <laughs> We do it live. <laughs> okay, here we are at the Elmaremis. It is now time. Well, I mean, you're you're really forward thinking today. <laughs> uh, it is time to ask the eternal question, Mike. Were there any wormholes in this plot? <sighs> That's a tough one because I mean, I guess we we talked about it a little bit at the top. The biggest the biggest one I think would be uh, I'm going to size this up here so we're a little taller than the thing. I think the the sort of actual energy them needing to frack in general, mm-hmm. they yeah. never really explain why that is, or like that. There's no other way that the Federation can't help them without having that. Like, especially when they find out that there are people who don't want to leave the moon and that they will ostensibly have to either forcibly remove them, which seems sort of antithesis to the sort of peacekeeping mission of everything, or yeah. blow them up. Seems like pretty drastic like there's got to be other their answers so that felt a little light to me uh, but other than that i didn't see anything that was that 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 stuck out as uh, completely not making any sense so i thought it was a pretty clean episode keith 
Yeah, no, I I think that's I I feel exactly the same. Like the and I talked about it before, like the necessity of this situation was a little hard to hard to swallow um, based on the technology or whatever. But it, it, it wasn't really about that, right? Because it, it's not what the story is about. It's just a setup. So I don't know how hard they necessarily have to work to make that airtight. Um, there is there it. is one other thing that, I mean, I understand his viewpoint, but Kira seems to make it clear that they can... Cr- pretty much recreate his whole scenario. They're like, we can find you a spot on Bajor where you're like left alone with just you and your friends. You get your own garden. You can basically recreate your whole environment here, there. You don't got to worry about it. Just come on. But he still won't do it. And I guess that's sort of a throwback to just sort of being obstinate about uh, well, being stuck in kind of the occupation and what had what his experience was. And I understand that, but I'm just saying like... Well, yes and no, because I I'll speak from my own experience with... Um, you know, I grew up in a very rural place and, um, it wasn't, it's not a farm, but it's farmish. And, you know, certainly, um, it's been, you know, my parents bought it before I was born. I grew up there and have been working on that land specifically for 40 plus years Mm -hmm. and and bending it to your will and every rock and soil and tree has, has been part of family identity for a long time. I know that I couldn't replace that land with any other land, even if it was very similar, even if it was a little better, like the, that pond and those trees and that soil is, is so much more special because of the blood, sweat, and tears put into taming what used to be an old farmland into what it is now. And, uh, you know, once, once you plant a tree and watch it grow it's not just a tree anymore. And I think that that is, I completely understand where he's coming from, okay. frankly. Um, okay. I, you know, if it's good, you know, cause we've been apartment hopping for 20 something years. <laughs> it, yeah. it doesn't matter as much, but I think once you're, once you're tilling the land, it does change it. So uh, let's talk about Keith and Mike's favorite moment. Mike, what was your favorite moment? You know, we had talked about how we've gotten a little bit away from Cisco, and I, but I really think that my favorite moment, even though there were, you know, I thought all the way through I was going to spend this time talking about the chemistry between uh, Murdoch, yes, Murdoch, <laughs> Malabak, and Kira, but actually, and, and it's awesome, and I hope that you take the opportunity to do so, but that scene where where Ben beams onto the planet and has that whole exchange yeah. with Kira really felt like sort of, it's funny because you really think, I mean, you do get a nice resolution between that pl- the plot line of the guy on the, the farm guy and, and then beaming up at the end, you get a nice resolution, but really the focal point and thesis of the whole idea of this episode really is a, is a Kira focused episode and Ben making her realize that, she can't just empathize with man, this man's experience, that she has to take the leadership role and use that experience and use what she's learned and the relationship she's made to get the outcome that had been predetermined. And I think that that is really cool because it it spins on its head where you think things are going and it reminds you that, you know, as, as easy as uh, ben Sisko and Jean-Luc Picard and Captain James T. Kirk 
as easy as being a hero seems and getting the result you want and leading the mission to a positive resolution, even in TV, right, seems so easy. But yeah. reality is difficult choices have to be made, and you can't always agree with the choices that have been made that you're of, of the mission you're, you're in. And I, I just thought it was a really kind of cool beat and the way he went about it without just telling her what to do, being firm but also empathetic, and then kind of leaving her with her thoughts was so cool, and the writing was so great. I think that's my favorite moment. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a – it's it's a very um, adult storyline – not in the like it's full of sex and murder it's it's the the idea that sometimes frequently there are no perfect choices and there there is no solution that's that solves every problem and and frequently you have to make the the better of the two bad choices and i think that that is um such a big part of adulthood you know, it's something that I didn't quite understand in 1993 when I was a child, but I do now. Mm-hmm. Is that sometimes you just have to take the least shitty choice, and that's part of what being an adult is. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I do think that's the best moment. Um, but I will just, for the sake of sakes, uh, talk more about the Jake and Nog story. Yeah. And I don't. There's not like a specific moment within it. It's just I really like this as a beat for them as characters, as a moment for them as characters. Um, and we see how how Nog, even though we, we meet him and he's sort of like a ruffian and he's he's not well educated. I mean, he can't even read when we first meet him. But he's smart, he's clever, and he is... Um, he's, he's, he's smart and clever, essentially. And he takes opportunities, and I really like the growth that we see with these characters, especially back to back, because frequently we'll go four or five episodes without even seeing Jake or Nog. Mm -hmm. And we've had sort of back to back Jake and Nog episodes here where last week they were there, but it made no sense. And it moved the the characters forward. Not at all. It was was mischief. It was mischief. It was just mischief, and like it, I, I, I didn't even know what the point of that whole story was. But in this one, like, oh, I get it. It's cool. It gives them something to do that feels natural. It feels tied to the world. It feels tied to the characters. Uh, I really like that part of it. And so, there's progression, right? Like they're like you're seeing them develop their sense of of various. Like Nog is using his uh, his lobes. His lobes and his his instincts, but he's also trusting Jake. What, it, what's, what I love about their relationship and, and their friendship is that there's this implicit trust and collaboration and cooperation that this the humans and the various races of aliens and such are still struggling with. Even you know as yeah. much as we've evolved into the future, apparently we haven't because there's still all this struggle and strife and a lot of coming to terms with different uh, races and their cultures. Whereas Jake and Nog, who are of different you know, species are 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 really starting to learn to trust each other, and because of that trust, move forward and have and and and, and have, help get each some other. and help each other and get some wins. And I think the compassion and the friendship they've developed is one of the best. All in season one, for all you can say of the kind of what we're we're figuring out the different relationships, theirs is becoming pretty pretty uh, pretty firmly established. And even a lot of the kid, the sort of adolescent stuff that they've showed and portrayed, for the most part really rings true and 
Yeah. And I think works. So I yeah, I'm loving everything they're putting down. I feel like we're already in the middle of episode rating. It is time to hand out self sealing stem bolts now that we know what it means uh, we're sort of in the middle of a conversation but let us continue this conversation mike talk about the episode in general yes well i thought the nog and jake i think that was really strong and and it, and it not only it not only continues to establish their relationship but it also brings uh, it opens a lot of doors with quark who i think is starting to to respect their sort of uh, partnership moxie. and this sort of yeah. their moxie and not only that but they've created maybe a potential backdoor business uh, uh, shell corporation if you will which <laughs> could become the, the Noel Jake consortium yeah it could very well uh, help Quark in some in some things uh, and as and I think it's an interesting choice because what's really neat about it is that it's sort of a a, a comedic uh, a, a comedic side beat but they fle- were able to flesh it out into like a sort of whole second story which is kind of kind of cool uh also r- reminded me and i think this happened maybe around that time maybe that has part of it in the writing we could google it but there was that book that came out it was a blog that became a book and it was called the the red paper clip do you remember that no it was basically this guy who was exploring the burgeoning internets of uh i think it was facebook or one no uh Craigslist. And what his experiment was is he was going to start with a red paperclip, a little red paperclip, and just go mm. and just trade it. There was no money exchanging. Just trade it up, trade up, trade up, trade up between two things. And eventually, I think he got it up to a house. He turned the red paperclip into a house. What? Yeah. Just like uh, because he fi- eventually was able to trade. He got a car somehow, and then he traded the car for a walk on Roland TV show. And then it, it just it's an interesting story. You should Google it up. I'm, I'm sure I'm bastardizing the details, but I remember it. And that's kind of what they do here, right? They start with yeah. – some tossed off ketchup and they end up with uh the money they wanted which 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 is pretty cool i thought it was thought it was neat and i thought the way they went about it was really interesting the bigger picture story we've talked about it and it's heady you know what i mean it's a heady exploration and what's really beautiful about it is that almost immediately once the the stakes are set and the pieces are set you kind of know where it's going to go you kind of realize Kira's going to befriend this guy and she's going to convince him how it's all going to pan out. And and that's basically what happens. But what sets it apart from just kind of being a rote storyline is two things. We talk about a lot, Keith, on all of our shows. Excellent writing, excellent writing, and immaculate performances. I think yeah. their chemistry is insane. I think... They give and take off well off each other. Nobody seems like they're carrying the weight uh, emotionally or narratively. And the writing is smart. It never dumbs down, like is often a trap that I think this show, it's as well as many other shows, but this show that we've talked about, we've seen it happen. Uh, and it doesn't happen here. It's all elevated. So even when they're kind of talking about the same things, they're looking at it through different lenses and through different stories. And I just thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. And the resolution I thought was sound. I felt that the ending was a little abrupt. I would have liked some sort of a a button on it. But but then the more I think about it, and obviously I just watched this, so I haven't been able to process it around. The more I think about it is I like that because there are no promises and we don't know that he's going to thrive in this new place. Maybe we'll revisit it. But 
she had to do the hard lift and and the symbolism with the with the kiln and the and the fire at the end i didn't think it was over the, i didn't think it was smashing us over the head i thought it was actually pretty apropos and i also loved two things i want to mention before i'm done i loved sometimes when we redress the set right like the sort of away set it looks a little samey i thought it was really well done i loved the different colors you know the color palette on these shows can be kind of dark and uh muddy Mm -hmm. here was beautiful greens and lots of life which i thought was a great juxtaposition to all the space stuff thank you so much and also what was really cool to me it was the sound design when we were on the planet Mm. on the moon because we talked about i believe it was on this show we talked about the soundscape with sort of the white noise the droning white noise Mm -hmm. and it all kind of blends together but then when we would go to the moon that white noise would go away and it would be like soft flowing water, birds chirping, things, just a different environmental soundscape that that, that really worked for me and created a sense of place and different, uh, which you could, you kind of became, you could understand why this guy loved what the kind of oasis yeah. he had created. Well, it all worked good for me. Good job, too. Uncle Jim. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, yes. Excellent. <laughs> uh, in doing all the stuff you don't get to do on a day to day, right? All the space stuff to get to really kind of bring it home. I really, really loved the sound. Well, and and just to uh, not to interrupt, but just because you know, we're talking about sound, that kind of stuff, that it's um, for me personally, that's a that's such an interesting observation, and I and I love it because a the sound design is part of the storytelling. It's oh, yeah. very subtle. You know, it's 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 not as clear as the as the as the visual effects. It's not as clear as the as the set design, but it is, I think, enormously important for the realism of it, and and just you know, and just for uh, just because I, I I like to ride my family's coattails. I don't know if it, I think this would have been a little early to have started doing this, but in a couple of years, most of those outdoor nature bird sounds or whatever were recorded on my family's property, which is the property I'm talking about. We wouldn't want to give up. Oh, all right. Talk about a little closed circle there. So you close the circle there. Like that bird was probably outside the tree from my childhood bedroom window. So all that said, Keith, I think uh, this is ostensibly a bottle episode, which I love. Uh, Also side note, honorable mention, especially coming after battle lines. What do we learn in this episode when it comes to fight sequences, action, uh, less is more because the little battle in the garden here really worked for me. The guy gets shivved. They let the guy like wrestle for the phaser. He gets phasered. She, he's on the ground. Eh, we got it done. I like it. Matter. It, it's it, not it what it's about. Yeah, yeah, it worked for me. So yeah, I really like this episode. I think it's up there with the Dax episode that I really enjoyed. Um, clearly you can tell Mike likes a, a, a heady, well-acted sort of two-hander, uh, as you'll come to find. I like those things. I'm going to I'm going to go up there here. What's the highest rating I've given? Do you have your spreadsheet up? Uh I can. Let me see here. Uh Your highest rating, Mike's highest rating has been an 88. I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to say 80 8.5. I'm going to give it the slight edge Ooh. in self-sealing stem bolts. Uh, this is my favorite episode of the season thus far. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, and that's without our boy Ben, who I love. But just, I just think it all, it all worked for me. 
I think it's a very solid episode. I, I really do. I think it's I think it's well written. I think it's well acted. It's well directed. Um, you know, this this storyline is something that Star Trek has covered before and kind of recently. <laughs> um, the uh, the Next Generation episode Ensigns of Command put Data in a kind of a similar position. Um, but I think what what makes this separate and different is the fact that it's Kira being mm-hmm. put in this position. You know, you could write this episode with any of our cast members being in this position, but I think this is so specific to Kira's journey and Kira's story as a Bajoran, as identifying, you know, like, yeah, could could Bashir have done the story? Sure. Could O'Brien have done the story? Sure. But this having the character work integral to the story, integral to the message, I think was what makes this the strongest. Um, it's great. I mean, it's it's not one of those episodes where like, oh, if you haven't seen that, you're not going to understand the series. But I do think it continues to help you understand Kira, who is such an interesting character, um, a, a fascinating character, mm-hmm. frankly, um, with her background. And as the more and more and more we ex- we explore that, the more interesting she's going to become, the more layers that she has. Um we learn some, you know, more about Cisco and his leadership, um, and his sort of like, we got to do what we got to do. Sometimes, you know, I I have flexibility. I'm going to try to help you. I'm going to try to support you. Trying to give you an opportunity to get there on your own, but you know, shit's got to get done. Mm-hmm. And and those are both integral to Cisco's character work, which I really liked. I love the Jake Nog stuff. It's fun. It's um, sort of silly and frothy, but but really enjoyable. And we have, you know, the, we're going to see more of that. And it's just, it's very welcome. That friendship is welcome. Um, it feels more tied to their characters than we've seen in some of the things before. So I, yeah, I'm, obviously I, I like this episode a lot too. Um, you know, is this going, to, is this the strongest episode of the season for me? No. Is it um, one of, like, the top 20 episodes of the series? No. But it's a very solid, good character work that I find, um, yeah, I I find it compelling and interesting mainly because of the the chemistry and the performances. Um, Every time I'm like, all right, I'll watch this one because I I like watching the emotional journey of this. So uh, you're not going to get 88.5 from me, but you are going to get a very solid 84 self-sealing stem bolts from me. A couple of things else I want to mention in our kind of postmortem here that I think are, I hope that the writer's room holds on to because I think we've learned them. One, great, this is actually great. It was it Battle Lines last week. No, last last week was the storyteller. Oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Uh, it's probably better. Select all, delete. But having battle lines close to this one showed me two things. First of all, the flexibility of the actress that plays Kira. I always forget. And the visitor. Yeah, because clearly, clearly she was tasked with, and also the writing demanded in that episode, huge emo- emotive beats, right? Like just yep. hu- giant stuff. Like really making the, the stakes so high 
But you don't need to do that. You can tell a compelling story without going to 11 every time, right? Sometimes yeah. a well-acted six is better than an 11, right? Oh, definitely. So I, I, I really hope we learned that here. Also, you can bring on an excellent guest star, and they don't have to be the antagonist, right? It doesn't. There hasn't have to be a bad guy, right? It doesn't always need to be good versus right. evil. It can be a really more nuanced tale. He's an antagonist, sure, but not really. He's just, he's sort of be the one who's being wronged. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and I, I I think to, to piggyback on that, the role that he plays, not as an antagonist of, like, storytelling antagonist, but he what he does is he changes the pace Mm. of the show of the mm -hmm. scenes that i don't think we've seen a character where we're like coming in star trek da -bop, da -bop, da -bop. he's like he's like slow down yeah, we got it it's gonna take three hours to cook these vegetables we're gonna slow down the pace here yeah and and that was very compelling you know to have a character change the pace of a scene either speeding it up mm -hmm. or slowing it down it can be a very compelling thing um you know if if there's a good reason for it, and there's there was a, here. You bring up, you raised a really interesting point, and I think the writing, the, they foreshadow it in the most wonderful of ways that just dawned on me. In that first scene where she comes down, and, and Kira's a great character to, to be the catalyst because she's very... Right, 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 right. And, and she even goes, you know what, I see your tricks. You're just, you're trying to get under my skin, right? I figured you out. And just when she thinks she's figured it out and we're going to take it to a left turn, they, they capped that opening scene with... He says verbatim, well, you know, he says, not verbatim. No, these vegetables actually, yes, maybe I was lying about that, but these vegetables actually are going to take three hours, so why don't you sit down and get comfortable because we're in for yeah. a, a slower story. And so they, they really kind of, that's a little bit of meta, like a meta insert there, which is cool. Uh, really well, really yeah, cool storytelling. Yeah, I, I just thought yeah. it was, like you said, it, it was a change of pace. Character-wise, but also episode-wise, it was you know yeah. it wasn't were, the stakes weren't gigantic, right? You never thought they were no. going to just blow this guy up. So the, the stakes were emotional, mm -hmm. were purely emotional. The the actual practical stakes were almost nothing here. I mean, I mean, obviously, like you know, you, you, it's somebody's life, but he's going to a perfectly nice place. They're going to compensate him fairly. They're going to do all this kind of stuff. We know it's going to end up there, like. No, there's no like the ship's not going to blow up. It's entirely about the feelings of an I old man on I the do, moon. Speaking of feelings, I I do want to put this in at the end. I do feel bad that they cut those people's tongues out. Still, like you could have given them a line at dinner. You know, I guess it helps them <laughs> show how brutal it was where they came from. But come on. Well, we don't know that they were compensated as background actors. All right. I mean, but still, give them a line. But, Let them mumble yeah, it at least. You know. <laughs> Well, on that note, <laughs> thank you for watching Keith and Mike watch Deep Space Nine. We'll be back next week with the episode, If Wishes Were Horses. Oh, great title. Which is, uh, well, it's, it's, this episode is, I, 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 I always want to qualify it before. And then I don't want yeah, to. I want Mike to go don't in fresh, but, but it is. But, but let me say this, Keith. Yes. If wishes were horses, mm -hmm. I'd have all kinds of listeners galloping over to Patreon.com/slash <laughs> K and M to help us out on our. Uh, to uh, which most of them say nay. nay. <laughs>
Oh, guys. Oh, wait. Yeah, it's... it's... <laughs> I apologize yeah. to the world. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, listen, we appreciate you guys watching. Give and us a like. Give us a subscribe. All the we're, things. We're trying to get to 500 subscribers. That way you all can see the wrath of Neener. You know you want to. Get your cat a YouTube account. Sign your cat up. Get your mom to subscribe. I don't know if mine does yet, but I'm trying. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I, uh, We can't even convince Jen to watch yet. I was like, you got to get in on this one. Come on, Jen. You got to join in. Does Jen subscribe? I don't think Jen has been on her own YouTube in years. Everything's logged into my account, but... Well, log her in. Get her subscribed. <laughs> Till then, this has been Keith and Mike by Steve Space Thank Nine. Never actually answer that. K&M Entertainment. <laughs> if you enjoyed a particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash K&M. Because our other outro had our title. But this, stuff, this one does.